Um, a, a few years ago, I was sitting in front of the television with my child, like I have for most of my life. Um, I watch the show, and then these ads come on between the show that are outside of my control for most of my life. And my oldest at that time, I believe she was eight or nine years old. Um, listen, she very much like me in the sense you, you very rarely have to wonder what we're thinking. Um, we'll normally let you know whether you ask us or not. <clears throat> and if you want to know the truth, and the truth set you friends, <laughs> then all you have to do is ask one of us. I, I, I just dreaded when I was in public, when she was even younger, and somebody would ask her a question that they really didn't know, want to know the answer to. Anyways, so she's, she's sitting there, and, and she just can't take it anymore. All of a sudden, in her little mind, she, she yells out in frustration, Why are we watching commercials? <laughs> she just couldn't understand. Why, why are we not fast-forwarding through these ads? What are we doing? And so I had to take the time to explain that there was a day when we actually had to get up off the couch. And by we, I don't mean my parents. I mean me. If we wanted, my parents wanted the channel to be changed, then not only did I have to watch commercials, but I had to get up off the couch and go over to the television and find out which channels in the knob still work. Can I get some help from somebody today? And while I was up there, I was asked to adjust the antenna ever so slightly. And then the show would come through more clearly and I would make the mistake of taking my hand off the antenna and the signal would not be as clear. And so I would be asked to simply hold the antenna until the end of this scene. She didn't understand, why are we watching commercials? So fast forward, I have that same child in the living room, and uh, it, was, it was right after Thanksgiving, and, and, and we were, were watching television again, and I had fast forwarded as far as I could, because normally I'll just pause and go do something else so that I you know, don't have to watch commercials about HIV. And anyway, so I, True story. Uh, so, and I was stuck watching the commercials, and I noticed every other commercial. And we ain't even got out of Thanksgiving yet. Every other commercial is Christmas this and Christmas that and holidays this and holidays that. And so I paused the commercial. Because now it's my turn to say something. I've been waiting on this moment for three and a half years. And I look over, and it's just my oldest and I in the room. And I said, um, hey, have you noticed, just even in these commercials, that it seems like all of society wants to push Jesus out of everything? Like, keep, keep religion to yourself. Keep God out of government. Keep your faith and your opinion about your faith. Like, we don't need prayer in schools. We don't need the commandments in the courthouse. We, we don't need God in government. We don't need you Christians trying to tell us what you believe all the time. But then all of a sudden, the, the day of thanks, I mean, we ain't even got out the turkey bowl yet. I ain't even made my lunch plate at my mother-in-law's house and I'm so looking forward to it and we already got commercials about Christmas what is the over personification of this day in which we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ worth if we want him to get out of it why do we want to take Christ out of Christmas and still celebrate the day. And, and Adeline was just, she was as baffled as I. And then I started thinking, that's not just a worldly problem, that's a human problem. See, it is the human tendency 
Because we're good at, at pointing out there and looking, man, look what the world is doing to our Christmas. But if we notice the six fingers pointing back at us, and I can't get no help today in second service, we have to admit that it is actually not a worldly problem, but a human nature issue, that it is our tendency as humanity to make everything about us. <laughs> oh, y'all thought I was just going to preach about all the sinners out there. <laughs> See, people as a whole, and if you're a person, this message applies to you today. Now, if you affiliate as a cat and you're still a person, it's still, I, I'm <laughs> People take, I got to get over it, hang on. People take what God meant for his kingdom. We all do it. We take what, what was intended for the kingdom of God and we turn it and make it about personal gain. Ministers do it. I've seen 16, 17, 18-year-olds. I, I, believe it or not, at one point I was. 16, 18. Um, I didn't skip 17 either. I had to go through all of them. And I was there. And I surrendered my life to the ministry. Watch what, hear me, watch. This is so And I became a pastor on staff at a church. And I still began to question my calling when I wasn't promoted the way that other people were promoted. I'm living the ministerial dream, but I have taken ministry in my mind and made it about me becoming successful. And God had to correct it. He spent 10 years correcting it. Go, who, who are we kidding? This past Friday, he reminded me that we have a tendency as humans, as people, to take what was meant for the kingdom of God and spend it on ourselves. And I'm not talking about finances today. Let's look at example, Lucifer in the very beginning. He was an archangel of God, one of the three archangels of God. And yet his sin nature caused him to take the glory that was meant for God to be revealed through him and he began to receive that glory for himself. Fast forward, he comes to the woman in the garden. What does he tempt her with? He didn't mean that you can't have the... He just knew that when you ate of the fruit, you would be like him. So the enemy tempted the woman with the same thing that he succumbed to because he knew that there was something inside of her because God is just and God is fair and God could not put in her what was in him that caused him to fall. So God gave humanity the same opportunity that he had given Lucifer in a third of heaven that fell. And yet the man and the woman succumbed to the temptation because we always take what was meant for the kingdom and make it about us. Jacob! Jacob stole, deceived his daddy into giving a blessing. What father would not bless a son if he just simply asked? He didn't have to try to manipulate the blessing. He needed to ask for the blessing. But he deceived his daddy into the blessing of his brother. And listen to me, people of God, since that day, we have still been comparing how God blesses us to how God blesses somebody else. And if the Lord doesn't bless us the way that he does our brother and our sister, then we doubt our God and we doubt his ability. Joseph, gloating, at his brothers because of the favor. 
He thought it was his responsibility to tell everybody how much favor the Lord had placed upon his life. And so he pranced around telling everybody about his dream of when they would bow down. He put on his little fancy coat and went out to all his hard-working brothers and sisters and began to exclaim about his vision. See, what he didn't understand about the dream was the dream was more about their destiny than it was ever about his destiny. He took what God wanted to use him to deliver other people and made it about him walking in favor that other people didn't have. The Israelites, I mean, they just got through the Red Sea. They get to the other side, and they can't wait 40 days for Moses to come down off the mountain and share a word that they were afraid to go get. You remember, they had an opportunity to go up on the mountain, but God began to reveal himself to all the Israel, and they asked God to back off and, and sent Moses in their place. Isn't it interesting how we like to elevate people to do things that we're not willing to do ourselves? And Moses went up on the mountain, and while he's up on the mountain getting a word from God, the people begin to take their gold and their possessions and form themselves a God that they can see, a God that they can sense, and a God that they can worship. And since that day, people are only willing to serve what they can see. And even we put more faith in gold than we do in God. I ain't got time to stay stuck there today. I could give you 50 more examples. But as we look in Scripture and we go into this series about the kingdom and we go to Christmas morning and we go into a new year, we have to acknowledge that what people want God to do is very rarely equal to what God actually wants to do. From Genesis to Revelation, and even us in between. What people thought God was going to do in sending a Messiah, and what God actually wanted to do in sending a Messiah. What God wants to do with our salvation and what we thought he wanted to do with our salvation what God wants to do with our inheritance and what we thought he wanted to do are almost always at odds and hear me if we're not careful we'll do the same thing to Christmas that our culture has done we just might be better at not doing it on December 25th but let January 25th roll around and we look just like the people that we despise on Christmas morning. Well, I say Merry Christmas. Yeah, but let you not get the gift that you've been telling everybody that you wanted. Well, I say Merry Christmas, yeah, but you let a son or a grandson or a child or a grandchild not show the proper appreciation for the energy and effort that you went into in order to invest in the gift that you gave them. You better appreciate me, boy. <laughs> Never will I forget when my youngest brother opened up a present one Christmas and he lifted it up and on the front of it was an LSU tiger engraved with his name underneath that said, go tigers. And he lifted it up, but he didn't see the engraving. He looked and he goes, a jacket. That was fun to watch, y'all. I sat back, where's my phone? I say Merry Christmas. But I start more fights and fuss at more people and get more stressed out and anxious about spending time with the people that I care about on this one day than any other day of the year. I say Merry Christmas and they need to stop saying Happy Holidays. Yeah, but is Jesus really at the center of it all or has he just been offered a seat at the table of his own celebration? Kingdom came. The Jews in the first century missed the promise of the Messiah because they had an expectation of who the Messiah was supposed to be, hear me, and what the Messiah was supposed to do. The people in the first century expected a king. 
that they could see. Just like the Israelites wanted possessions, and just like if our circumstances don't line up, we question God's provision to this day. They were looking for an earthly king to get them out. Hear me, church. They were looking for a deliverer to deliver them from this evil in which they were surrounded. They wanted a king like David to come in and overthrow the, I mean, the Romans. But God didn't send them an earthly king to get them out. I said God didn't send them an earthly king in a white house. He sent a baby. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Can you see where I'm going? Just hang on here with me. It's going to be two weeks of this. It's going to be so good. Verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, that's, that's uh, Herod the Great, if you will. That is the great-grandfather of King Agrippa, the man in Acts chapter 26 that Paul will stand in front of and share the gospel with. In fact, we are in the middle of that story in our Acts study, and you, if you tune in this Wednesday night, will hear a, a little bit of an exposition, if you will, of this gospel message that the Apostle Paul is about to share with this earthly king named Agrippa. This is his great-grandfather. This is the man that ends up beheading John the Baptist. In the days of Herod the king, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Not to over-preach this point, I just find it interesting that these wise men came from the area in which Daniel asserted the kingdom of God under the worst of circumstances. The Bible never says or never shows that Daniel ever left the Babylonian became Persian empire. And yet we see his influence hundreds of years later in these people who travel hundreds of miles based on what one of their descendants possibly said about Jewish history. It is quite possible that these wise men from the East had some Jewish descent inside of them. Whether they had it biologically or not, we cannot actually know, but we do know that there was some spiritual acknowledgement of the Judeo history that caused them to be watching for the coming Messiah. Are you with me? The wise men came from the east saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Why would a non-Jew not care? Everybody was looking for a king. For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Now, this is more than just like concern. This word is actually translated as terrified. See, likely for someone to be as evil as Herod the Great was, he was likely possessed by a and or multiple demons. And the demons inside of him trembled whenever they heard the messianic promise coming to pass. In fact, the Bible continues that not only was, was Herod troubled, but every demon in Jerusalem was troubled. And so King Herod assembles all of the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, and they ask, and they ask where is the Christ, the Messiah, the king, where is the king supposed to be born? Verse 6, the prophecy is revealed. You, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come, this is important, a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. A ruler, someone in charge, who will shepherd, that word is translated as train, equip, empower, or actually the best English word for that word right there is govern. A ruler who will govern my people. See, God wasn't sending a king to deliver. He was sending a ruler to govern. Let's just keep going. You'll get it. Herod brought them in. 
he brings these wise men in. He says, hey, when, when you find this king, I want you to come back to me because the devil is a liar. Come on, somebody. Because <laughs> I want to go worship him. And they're like, okay, but they don't do it, thank God. Verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them. Now, this is interesting because the only thing that this can be is a supernatural sign. Um, I, I've actually, if, if you go overseas in areas where there's less light pollution and, and less air pollution, and, or if you just go out in the middle, honestly, of the desert in the United States, you can look up. I've been in the Serengeti where there's not a light for thousands of miles, and you can look up into the sky with no pollution, and you can see, uh, you can see the Milky Way and beyond. It's absolutely incredible. And of all the billions of stars in the sky that you could watch for hours upon hours at night, none of them rose and none of them went because as one of the pastors that I heard preach this similar message, not this one, but another message in regards to this passage said a long time ago, Stab, as a habit, stars don't went. It's just not what they do. It's not what they were created to do. But this one rose and it went, and watch, there's a third characteristic, before them until it came to rest. You remember the scripture that says, the heavens shall declare. There's some recognition by these wise men of the words that God has placed to be revealed to his people. It rested over the place where the child was. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Verse 11, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. In other words, they may not have been expecting what they saw, but they worshiped him anyways. Come on, I don't want to over-preach this this morning, but you don't have to see what you want to see in order to worship the one that can do anything for anybody at any time. If you'll worship him, then maybe what you see will begin to line up with his will. I ain't got time. I got to keep going. They saw the child with Mary. They fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasure. Now, I didn't want to preach on offerings today. I'm just telling you, every time it's there. If you're going to worship God, then he's going to go to the place that you put the most faith in. And they offered him gifts. It wasn't a tithe. It was way beyond that. Notice that it says gifts. It wasn't just a gift. It wasn't just three. And there wasn't just three wise men. There were gifts. And the gifts included gold, which, which, all, which was a, a, a symbol of royalty. The Bible says that the temple was lined with the gold. In the Holy of Holies, everything in the Holy of Holies had to be lined with gold symbolic of his royalty and his divine nature frankincense and myrrh but the bible says they didn't return everybody expected a king okay you have to be able to correlate right now before we go any further that just as the jews expected a messiah to be king and deliver them we today, as first, I'm sorry, as 21st century believers, we now expect a king to return and deliver us. Are you with me? Everybody wants a king. And so when we don't see Jesus, we elevate men and women to his status unintentionally. It's why we over-personify pastors. It's why we over-personify politicians. It's why we put godly pressure on men and women who are really just supposed to be surrendered vessels. Are you with me today? Because everybody wants a king that they can see, whether it's on Wall Street or in a pulpit. People like to worship what they see. Everybody expected a king to deliver them. 
out of the tyranny. Everybody expected a king, somebody to help get them out of the pressures of society. Everybody expected a king to help them escape. But God, hear me, did not send them an earthly king to help them rule in a kingdom. He sent them a heavenly king, a servant to rule their hearts. And everybody wants to be in charge, but nobody wants to serve. You see what we've done? The same thing they did. They were looking for a king that would rule the nation. They were looking for a king that would set up an empire. They were looking for a king that would gather an army and overthrow all of the Romans. They were looking for a king that would save them from the pressures and the tyranny and being overwhelmed and outnumbered and outvoted. Come on, somebody. Can I get some help today? But God didn't send them a king. He sent them a son. The people were looking for a deliverer, but God sent a savior that would lead by serving and challenge his followers to be ruled in their hearts and establish his kingdom. Okay, hang on, because I've been over preaching it. I need to come back. I just need to come down for a second. at what point, and you got to help me because I, I just realized that I had done this for the previous 38 and a half years of my life. At what point did we take the message of the kingdom and turn it into the good news of getting us out of trouble? At what point did we go from preaching, watch me, hang on, at what point did we go from preaching establishment of the kingdom of God to escaping from the earth? At some point, we began to preach an incomplete gospel, a gospel of misconception. And when I say kingdom, you think heaven. When I say salvation, you think removed from the problem. And we began to preach a get saved, get saved, get saved so you can go to heaven, go to heaven, go to heaven. And that, my friend, is an incomplete message. That's not good news. That's later news. And I don't know exactly when it happened or why it happened or who started it. I just know that at some point the church began to preach more about going to heaven than they ever taught about bringing heaven to the earth. Jesus didn't come so you could go to heaven. That's part of it. We'll go to heaven unless he comes back first. Come on, somebody. Matthew chapter 6 just to prove that we're not getting saved just to get out of here. I have heard this Our Father prayer prayed by thousands of thousands of times over the last several years. In fact, my entire life, I'm very familiar with the Our Father. I'm not not exactly sure why some of us say the last few verses and some of us don't say the last few verses, but that's for me to learn and find out later. I know that when the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way. Our Father, because all the glory be to God. Our Father who art in heaven. Where is he? Our Father who art in heaven, holy, hallowed, holy, worthy is your name. Look at me. Look with me at verse 10. You can look at me too, but look with me at verse 10. Your kingdom, say it. I'm sorry, where is it going? Our Father which art in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom. All right, now the other 150 people, your kingdom. Thank you. I just wanted to make sure we were all reading the same version. Your will be done on where? I thought we were just, I thought, I thought that was just about us getting to heaven. 
But that's not what Jesus said to pray. He didn't tell us to pray about getting out of here. He said, pray to the Father in heaven. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus, I think it's safe to say that Jesus did not come so that we could simply go to heaven. Jesus Christ came. The kingdom of God came so that heaven would be brought to the earth. This is not a kingdom now message. This is not about us never going through anything. This is about continuing to engage in the culture around us and us having more influence on what's going on in our nation than we whine about what's going on in our nation. At some point, we stopped engaging the culture with the kingdom in our homes, in our hearts, in our workplace. I said at the deer camp, come on somebody, yay! In our finances, in our definition of success, in our city. You'd rather me stand up here and preach about people riding around on bicycles than you would me challenge you to go help somebody. Because we, just like the Jews, just like the Israelites, have made the kingdom all about us. We made the good news of God about all the holy people getting out of here. We made the gospel of Jesus Christ. We limited what Jesus came to do. Come on. We want salvation with no sanctification. We want the glory of God without giving anything to God. Come on. We want the influence... We just don't want to invest. Here I am, Lord. Send me to somebody you want to use. Come on, Jesus. Unfortunately, that's not the proper translation of that scripture. That's not kingdom. Just like our culture is trying to take Christ out of Christmas... Don't get mad at them for doing one time a year what you do just like them for the rest of the year. It's not kingdom to take heaven and separate it from the earth. That is an incomplete, lacking, and divided gospel. When we think kingdom... We think heaven. But when God thinks kingdom, he thinks earth. We must return. Come on, church. We must return to a place where we look to establish the kingdom of God, not escape the earth of people. The kingdom. It's not just coming. The kingdom came. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Verse 2. Repent. What is that word? I've told you before. I'm going to tell you again. That is the Greek word metanoia. It doesn't mean to turn to anything. I thought I was going to try to, I was trying to look professional for y'all, but I'm going to die trying to have, well, I'm not even putting it on in third service. I was going to try to make it. Listen, if you're cold, bring a jacket because I have now reached the limit of what I'm able to take off. <laughs> Just, 
John the Baptist came preaching this radical message. It wasn't self-help. It wasn't personal prosperity. John the Baptist came in his camel hair coat with honey and locusts hanging out of his mouth. Creepy John referred to on The Chosen, and he had one message. Stop thinking the way that you have your entire life because your perception of who God is and what he wants to do is incomplete. I know that this is what you've been taught. I know that this is what you've perceived. I know that even in your full gospel charismatic circles that it is about experiencing the power of God, but repent. Because if you have the experience but you don't take the experience and influence somebody else, then you have made the kingdom about you. Repent. Change your mind. John is saying, this is not about you. What does he say next? For the kingdom of heaven This was 2,000 years ago. Now, some version says draws near. That's not a great, because I looked all this stuff up. Just take my word for it or test everything that is said and go study out the Greek and the original Aramaic and all the things that you can easily Google yourself through Bible Hub and or look up more professionally on Logos Bible software that I pay for monthly. Whatever you want to do, trust me in this. The word means drawing near. In other words, John was given a warning 2,000 years ago that we need to change the way that we have been thinking because the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. It has come. It is at hand. Verse 3 says, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. They missed it as Jews. Come on. We are missing it today as followers of Jesus. He said, there is a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. Verse 7 says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, in other words, when all of the so-called believers began to gather at his church, he wasn't excited that they were shifting their ships because they didn't like what the other preachers were saying. I can't get no help today. I got to keep reading. He said to them, you brood of vipers, you snakes in the grass. Now, I, that's not the warmest of welcome for your new guest. Like, you don't put that on the back of the offering envelope. You don't write out your connect card and say, welcome you venomous, vile beings, unless you're the Grinch. John the Baptist said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? That would be like me standing up here after 9-11 when the churches were packed and just ostracizing everybody for showing up that day. It would have been like me standing in this pulpit a few weeks ago when LSU beat Alabama and we had 770 people show up on Sunday morning. Now, there were probably more reasons than that. I'm sure it just so happened that everybody was in such a good mood over a piece of leather being thrown around by children that they happened to wake up as the sun was shining on Sunday and actually all be here at the same time. See, what we found is our faithfulness to our Father continues to be subject to our fulfillment from Him. And hear me, until your fulfillment becomes based on your faithfulness, 
I said, until your fulfillment becomes based on your faithfulness and not just your faithfulness being based on how fulfilled you do or do not feel. The day that your feelings begin to follow your faith is the day that you begin to walk in the things that only God has for you. It's the day that God begins to not just work for you, which is what he is willing to do, but you get to watch him take you into the next phase of your relationship with him and he begins to operate through you. John looks and says in verse 8, bear fruit. <laughs> that wouldn't be a popular sermon. I mean, that would have like three YouTube views. Nobody'd share that one. If we make the sermon about us, then we tag everybody. But the moment it challenges our current direction, we tend to keep it to ourselves. And John says in verse 8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Don't just repent. He already said that. But bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Don't just get saved, be saved. Come on, bump your neighbor today and tell them, we're not just getting saved at this church. We're going to live saved as this church. We're not just going to walk around and say we believe in Jesus. People are going to be able to look at our lives and see that we believe in Jesus. We're not just going to repent and change our mind for a moment. We are going to bear fruit that is in line with the repentance that God has called us to. I'm more excited about it than y'all are. That's okay. I got two weeks to convince you. Verse 9. Do not presume to say to yourselves that we have Abraham as our father. In other words, John is saying, I don't care who your daddy was. I don't care who your mama was. I don't care how long you've been a part of this church. I don't care what God used to do. I don't care what you think he ought to do. I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And I look at this passage and go, man, can you believe these idiots? I can't believe these Pharisees, these arrogantly religious people would make such a mistake as to think and consider that God would send a king just to save them. And then I go, I did that my whole life. I thought from 7 to 9 to 16 to 21 to 24 to 35 to 38 that God sent his son just to save me. But John goes further. He says in verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but there is one coming after me who is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. And he will not just sprinkle you with water. Come on, somebody. He will not just dip you in the tub. He will not just submerse you with something that came out of a hose. Help me, Jesus. But he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. And just in case you miss the message, Luke, the doctor, closes one book and opens the next book with the emphasis of what happens to those who really and truly surrender their lives to Jesus. That the Holy Spirit comes not so that you can have another emotional experience. The Holy Spirit comes not that you can feel better about the sin that you stay stuck in. The Holy Spirit comes not that you would just surrender and sacrifice and feel like you're more holy than all of the people that aren't doing what you're doing or giving what you're giving. But the Holy Holy Spirit came in dunamis power so that you would be a witness to everybody that God puts in your path while you're still here on this earth to bring the kingdom of heaven to Acadiana, to bring the kingdom of heaven to Louisiana, to bring the kingdom of heaven back into your heart, back into your house, back into your habits, back into your workplace, back into our prisons, back onto our streets, back into our courts 
courts back into all of our municipal principalities and every area of our lives. God is saying, I didn't save you so that you could get to heaven. I saved you. I sanctified you. I filled you with my spirit so that you could bring heaven to earth. Because the kingdom has come. I might have to go get another shirt. If we separate Jesus and the gospel of the good news from the earth and we just make it about getting to heaven, then we misappropriate this message. It's incomplete if we stop with salvation. It's about lives being transformed. While we're still here, in order to understand what Jesus did, we have to understand why he came. That's the Christmas story. 2,000 years of messianic prophecy. 360 specific things that the Son must fulfill. And they missed it. The Jews missed it. The Israelites missed it. The third century missed it. And up to this point, I missed it. The church, the ecclesia, I'll prove it more later, has missed it. We have succumbed to the human tendency of making everything that God intended to build his kingdom all about us. Luke chapter 4, verse 17. The Bible says the scroll of Isaiah the prophet, we'll read some of it next week, was handed to him and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord says the Savior, says the Messiah, says the son, says the illegitimate, not biological offspring of Joseph the carpenter. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Why is the spirit of the Lord upon Jesus? Why is the spirit of the Lord upon us so that we can go to heaven, so that we can have an experience? No. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, says the Christ, for he has anointed me. The Father, come on, you got to catch this. The Father has taken his supremacy, his sovereignty, his supernatural ability, and he has subjected it to the people who are willing to walk in it. He has anointed me to preach and bring the good news to the poor, to the poor in spirit, to the poor in finances, to the poor in mind, to the poor at heart. He has anointed me to bring this good news. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind, spiritually blind, would begin to have open eyes and operate in the calling of God, that the oppressed would stop looking for a feeling of fulfillment 
that they would be set free. Verse 19, this is my favorite part, and I promise I'm going to close after this. At that time, the Lord said, the time and the day of the Lord's favor, it's not just coming in the book of Revelation. He's not just coming on a white horse. He's not just coming to rule and reign for a thousand years. Jesus Christ stood in the temple of God 2,000 years ago and said the time of the Lord's favor is already here. It has come. It has, it's not just coming. The fullness of it, yes, absolutely. But it has come. So followers of Jesus, dare I say, should have more influence on the culture than the culture has on them. The children of the church should have more influence on the classroom than the classroom has on them. See, when you send a spirit-filled disciple into philosophy 101, it doesn't matter how many degrees that person standing at the front of the room has because there is a temperature that is about to be set in the room by the person who the Spirit of the Lord has come upon, and they will not be swayed, and they will not be bewildered, and they will not succumb to the subjectivity of such a frail and fainting society. The Bible says he rolled up the scroll, handed it to the attendant, and sat down. And everybody online wondered where he went. And his wife realized how sweaty he actually is. Everyone stared at him intently. And so, because it was getting awkward in the room, Jesus stood back up. And the Bible says that he began to speak. And he says, the scripture you just heard, it's not going to be fulfilled. The scripture that you have heard has been fulfilled this very day. The only question left to ask is what will you do with what he has already done? The kingdom is not just coming, although I look forward to it. It's not just about me going to heaven, although should the Lord tarry, I would be happy to go home and be with Jesus. But if you're in Christ, you're not just going to heaven. You will also answer whether you were a part of his plan to bring heaven here.